Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcasts. Today's episode is about self-organizing teams and building flexible and adaptive organizations for the future. I am delighted to welcome Dr. Frederick Schneider, economist and executive educator. Frederick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susie. Very nice to to be on your show. Likewise, it's nice to have you. So, Frederick, you're a behavioral economist fascinated by the intersection of this subject with organizations and teams and what it really means for the workplace. And you've traveled all over the world researching this subject. But today we're going to talk about something that I hear a lot in the work that I do that I know that is a major challenge for all organizations, which is, I'm going to put it like this, flatter organizations. So as we move into a more interconnected environment with digital and that organizational design is changing and the world is getting more interconnected into ecosystems, this is a very topical subject. So that is linked not only to the evolution of leadership and org design, but also to the different strategy and culture necessary to work in these more networked organizations. So can we start with, first of all, what drew you to behavioral economics in the first place? And then what got you interested in the subject in organizations more particularly? Yeah, I mean, I I studied uh, economics in in undergrad. And unfortunately, I became a bit disenchanted because it was very dry. Mm. The whole Homo economicus approach and mathiness, as as some economists call it, uh, <laughs> which is great. I mean, math is, is wonderful and uh, clarifying, but it was a bit of a caricature in terms of how you see humans. Mm, absolutely. And then I, I had an elective course on what back then was a niche, uh, behavioral economics. I hadn't actually heard about it back then. Nowadays, of course, it's everywhere, but back mm. then it, it was uh, not that common. And, and I was like, yeah, this, this sounds plausible because uh, we try to learn from our colleagues from psychology mm. and, and um, how they see human beings in a bit more uh, fuller, lifelike way, which, of course, is not very amenable to mathematical analysis. And that's, that's why uh, economists skirt this as much as possible but yeah people mm. are people and they make mistakes and they're social and that drew me there and uh, in particular then in my phd research you know it, it, you can roughly divide behavioral economics into biases mm. uh, people are fallible and trust cooperation these kinds of things fairness equity inequity and I'd say that's like uh, people are social, and and so I went into the direction uh, people as social animals. Why and when do they cooperate? What do they think is fair, unfair? How do they how do they react to fairness, unfairness? Mm. How do people build trust, trustworthiness? Like all these factors that that foster. Um, these things or disincentivize these things. Mm. And that's a huge area that complements, I would say, the homo economicus view, right? We're, we're all sometimes homo economicus, but we're all very much social animals. And that, that was what I, I find fascinating. Mm. And it- obviously, that's, that's the same dilemma you see in, in organizations where you have incentives 
um, and people react to incentives, but they also feel, you know, the need for purpose, the need for connection, the need mm -hmm. for uh, fairness, uh, etc. So that's how I, I came into that. Mm, brilliant. And it is the sort of, it's indicative of the polarities that are at work in organizations. You know, it's either binary. So like you say, incentives, processes, individual rewards. If you do this, you get this. And then the sort of more complex systems of humans. I like to call it the human dimension of digital transformation, because I think the more digital enables human collaboration, the more we have to get with what I call these messy human subjects. And like you say, we are perfect imperfections. So it's never going to be an exact science, whereas economics is. So if I look at that complex landscape, uh, Frederick, I know you work a lot in executive education on these subjects. What are the trends and challenges that you're seeing from working with executives that are trying to navigate this complex landscape today? Because I think COVID has accelerated that process of opening a conversation about purpose that we didn't necessarily have beforehand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I have to say that this social side of behavioral economics is not, not what you typically teach. And that's part of why I'm doing this new yes. program, because it's, it's a bit of a blind spot. What you usually teach is anything around strategic decision-making, right? Yeah. Exactly. Trying to avoid biases, fallacies, sunk cost fallacy, uh, these kinds of things, a present bias, and you teach them this, but you... you you sort of neglect the second half of behavioral economics. And that you see that when you, when you teach that, because people are hungry for that. Executives mm. are hungry for, for these kinds of questions. Like, how do I do all of this in teams, right? Team dynamics, what role of incentives, you know, when do they backfire? Why do they backfire? But it's it's never really touched upon. It's it's mostly behavioral finance and and and, and strategic decision-making, these things. And you, as you say, today it becomes more and more clear that, you know, this is missing. It, with the great resignation, people feeling treated unfairly at the workplace, people feeling they, they need more, both mm. in terms of, of material fairness, but also in terms of purpose, in terms of sense of their jobs, and also in terms of trust. So, so that's my area where you see that especially with working from home, but also with things like these mass layoffs, you know, it's a mm. huge kind of, of betraying someone's uh, trust as an employee, all of these things. Uh, and how do you repair trust? Uh, that has become much more prevalent. And also, mm. I mean, agile seems to be uh, on the way out again, um, mm. but with all of these ideas, also Scrum, you see that, there are a lot of attempts to have these flatter organizations, flatter teams, cross-functional teams, et cetera. Mm. And, but I think there needs to be more expertise also in organizational design. Mm. And yeah, I think many organizations have tried to implement that too quickly, too half-heartedly sometimes. And too partially. So one thing, of course, is, is thinking about the organization as a system. And if you, for example, introduce uh, cross-functional teams without thinking more deeply about things like uh, incentives, things about ownership structures, etc., other aspects that very much play into this, then you have a 
problem. So, and of course, there's this, this other program at the academy with Mike that, that talks exclusively about systems thinking. Mm. Um, and I think that's where, where a lot of these conundrums also come from. Mm. But yeah, you see a lot of that coming up through COVID, through these uh, attempts with Agile, mm. and these, these new trends in great resignation, mm. quiet quitting, <laughs> and all these yeah. things. But I think if I take Agile as a, as a great, and there's so much in there, and we're going to unpack it during the, during the podcast, but if I just take the Agile example, it's going in and out, but the part that's going in and out is the tool-based stuff, the, proce- the process stuff. And I'm a big believer in Agile culture, which, which is the hardest part, of course. And like you say, organizations only do it partially or until it starts disrupting the status quo so much that they, they put it to one side, so to speak. And I think that's why the program that you've put together is so important in the uh, Enlightened Enterprise Academy around how you actually equip executives to deal with this and therefore how they equip their organizations to actually make this part of the way they work. And if I look at, you also mentioned mentioned systems thinking, which is a massively critical leadership skill. And we'll come back to that at the end, because I'd like to unpack that a bit further. But if I look at the program you've put together, which is called Flat, Fluid and Flexible, can we delve into flat first? Because we've already talked about it quite a lot in the last I don't know, 10 minutes around people are talking about we want flatter organizations, whatever that means. But let's start with the idea of hierarchy, because clearly it is always around hierarchy. So can we really ever get away from hierarchy? And what is hierarchy for you? Because if I look at the organizational side of this, it's all about, I'll come back to interrelational fairness and, you know, the dynamics of hierarchy. Yeah, I mean, you will never have no hierarchy, right? No. So, so in, in in some sense, why did we call it flat food flexible? One is, of course, the alliteration. Of aspect. course. <laughs> then people people have a certain idea about a flat and and have probably some experience of some sort of flat. But what it doesn't mean is is hierarchy less, right? You have different yes. kinds of hierarchies. Yeah. We're talking about when we talk about hierarchies about the the decision making structure, right? Mm. Structure. So, so when we look at an organization, what defines an organization is is the decision making structure. Then you have certain procedures. Then you have certain incentives. Then you have cu- culture, of course, and mindset, and all of these. And all of these things influence each other in a systemic matter manner that makes uh, change so intractable. Mm. But if we isolate structure we're we're talking about decision making structure and there we talk a certain about a certain kind of hierarchy which is dominance hierarchy mm. where you have the boss and then you have the person who's the subordinate and who has to follow the boss's uh, instructions and you have of course different degrees of that you can have a very authoritarian manner of of hierarchy and you you can have a more a softer uh, level of that but to a certain degree, you you have these domination hierarchies, mm. and this coercion um, is uh, what I point out in, in the courses is something that is quite unique nowadays to organizations and the workplace, because in in our modern world we we tend to go away from domination, right? Mm. We don't accept domination in our private lives anymore, right? No. If, if you t- about domination 
in a couple or in a family uh, that that is very much middle ages. If you mm. talk domination in politics and authoritarianism, it's very much old school politics. We mm. want participation. We want democracy. And so, so what we see in in the workplace is quite the exception today, where you have the boss and you have the and you have the subordinate. And it's quite funny that that this is a holdover in that domain. <laughs> and the question is, uh, is is it necessary to have these like lawless uh, or or states of exception, if you will, where I don't know you. When you need to pee, you need to pee in a bottle because uh, your boss doesn't allow you a pee break, right? Uh, um, that 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 would be completely mm. unacceptable if we're talking about politics, right, or, or or other areas of social life. And so the whole idea of flatness is non-domination, right? Mm. You you will still have leaders, but you won't have leaders that coerce you to do something. Mm. And I, th- I think that distinction is important, isn't it, Frederick? Because I hear a lot of uh, leaders and teams saying to me, oh, we're going to go flatter. That means I don't have a boss and, and more or less I can do what I want in inverted commas. And I think, you know, to come back to the agile discussion and the idea around framing and, and procedures, one maybe needs more definition of how that decision-making structure works in a flatter environment than command and control because command and control is very obvious it's 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 written on an org chart and it's communicated quite openly what are your thoughts on that no absolutely i mean we we have to move to some some of these models called it leader full you know to to <laughs> yeah yeah pass to uh, leader less mm. one idea that that i try to communicate in the course and and i i will talk about different cases where this is exemplified is that leaders are not people, right? Leaders are roles that you sometimes need, sometimes you don't need them. And whoever uh, puts on that role is the person who's most suited for that role mm. in a certain situation and also most accepted mm. uh, and most willing, right? So these are the three things you need, right? You need somebody mm. who's that, who's accepted by their peers, mm. who's, who's the best person to do that. Mm. that that is a more mutual temporary and and voluntary kind of authority mm. and so so everybody is a leader sometimes as i say in the program and this idea of shared leadership and also what i call emergent leadership you step up the plate uh, to the plate when whenever uh, necessary mm. it's a, a very different idea of leadership but nevertheless it's leadership and and if if at all you have more leaders and as you say that needs more definition right mm. and, and also what you see in many of these paradigms that try to codify this so you have that in prominently in holacracy right which mm. is a very i'd say i always call it a, a legalistic system uh right because it's all about rules and sticking to the letter mm. of rules and if you talk to holacracy practitioners, they always emphasize you have to you have to uh, buy into the whole system of rules, right? You yes. can't pick and choose, yeah. right? And uh, you have to adopt the whole constitution, and then you have to in every meeting you have to stick to the letter of the rules. Mm. And to, to that degree, uh, there's there's much more definition. I mean, yes, not 
not advocating particularly for that kind of mm. system, but, mm. but it just means that you need a lot of definition, a lot of structure yeah. in these systems too. It's just a different kind of structure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's hard to understand, isn't it? Because the brain's back to, you know, we're back to this polarity. It needs to be really structured, but then I need to let, let things emerge, which is why it's so important for executives to understand the complex nature of, of that decision-making or that organizational structure. I like the fact that it's about roles in the system and not necessarily people. So I am not my job description. Let's put it that way, because often that's where we get to. I am what it says in, in my job title. But in your work, you you use a lot of analogies with nature to come to this and how they evolve and how they structure and adapt because they need to in terms of evolving, whether it's neurons in the brain, whether it's molecules in a, in a complex, whether it's um, an ecosystem of, you know, a natural ecosystem in the desert or in, in the mountains, or it just seems to adapt because it lets things connect and then connect differently and then react to whatever is happening in there. Now, that's a big ask for organizations, isn't it? We know that because people want control. But what lessons are you learning for this subject from complex natural systems, if you like? Yeah, there's there's so much to learn. Um, and the very first thing that I think is very important to dispel this myth that mm. you need hierarchy to create <laughs> progress and create com complex procedures and manage complex procedures uh, mm. is you, you have nothing of that in nature. Um, evolution is a, is a thoroughly non like leaderless or, or, mm. or led uh, process and yet here we are in in our incredibly co uh, complex world with complex procedures that are um completely not created by by some leviathan or some mm. some, some big ceo mm. uh, or or big genius and it's very much a collective uh, endeavor mm. That led us there, and uh, I talk about a lot of examples in the program. Mm. Obviously, not to mimic these systems one to one because we're we're not trees or bees or evolution or brain cells. No. But to to show that um, it is not only possible but absolutely necessary to dispense with these rigid dominance hierarchies to create this this kind of variation and complexity and and mm. one of the examples i i bring uh, up is uh, the queen bee right mm. when we talk about uh, everybody is a leader sometimes right you, you step up to the plate you become a leader mm. in your whenever necessary when you are capable of doing so and and accepted and willing mm. then th that's exactly what a queen bee is right a queen bee is not born a queen mm. She's made a queen by by the worker bees, right? Whenever uh, it's necessary to have a queen, right, they will change the nutrition of one of the larvae and then by that creating a, a queen. Mm. So in that sense, every every larva can become a queen whenever it's necessary. Mm. And it comes so by the consent of, of the worker bees. And that's pretty much the spirit of emergent leadership. Mm. There's another very powerful example is Pando is the biggest organism on earth by any conceivable metric, by weight, by by extension. And it's a it's a colony of aspen trees. 
in the US. Okay. And if you see it, you'd think, okay, this is just a forest of aspen trees. But what it is is actually it's uh, what's sometimes called a rhizomal structure because mm. underneath all of the all of the trees are connected. They're actually clones, right? They're all okay. they all have the same genome, and they sprout from from a common colony. And what I find very uh, interesting there is that there's no single tree that is identified as you know the the central tree mm. it's it's a structure that is highly polycentric if you will mm. and that's how modern organizations increasingly think of themselves right polycentric mm. and self-similar right a federation of teams and that has a lot of practical implications so this this is a highly durable organism mm. right, for thousands of years and can easily survive wildfires and the like, can easily expand because it's self-similar, right? Mm. So scalability is is very easy for Pando and, and that makes it the biggest mm. organism. And also it's very cooperative in a sense because uh, what it does is, is actually uh, transferring, funneling water and nutrients from places of abundance to places of dearth, uh, if you will. and mm. This uh, sort of spirit of cooperation, if you will. Uh, I mean, they don't have a brain, but um, uh, that that is, I think, a very powerful analogy because you can see in this tangible thing, mm. this real thing, that you have this extremely durable, extremely adaptable, extremely successful, evolutionarily successful mm. model that is completely flat in in its uh, organization. Mm. Yeah, and it, and it adapts very easily, which so which brings me to fluid. I mean, we're basically looking at two of organizations' biggest challenges when I hear you talk, uh, Frederick, sort of growth, so scalability and cooperation. And of course, for those to happen, you need to move paradigms from one of dearth or scarcity to one of abundance. And it's a very different way of working. And I think, you know, that's the basics of an inclusive environment is Go back to your first comment around biases and fallacies. What do I think? Do I know how to step back from what I think and think differently and therefore adapt to what's happening in my environment, which are building blocks of a collaborative, inclusive environment, as is trust. And I just want to come back to trust and asking you what trust brings to that environment in terms of the power dynamics, because decisions are also taken very differently, aren't they, in those collectives where you have different types of interactions, different types of fairness, different types of ways of working. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, trust is central to any organization or to any aspect of social life. Mm. Uh, I mean, if, if we go to the very basics of economics and game theory, it's because of asymmetric information, right? I don't know everything that you know. And, and so that creates this uh, opportunity for betrayal uh, for moral hazard and and that's true for every organization but it's uh, especially true for mm. organizations because you don't have this leviathan this this big boss that can enforce things from above uh, so you have a, a peer relationship between mm. I, mean, I always say you know it's, it's the free society of equals that we all yeah. aspire to. but then of course you have your peers and you need to trust your peers mm. But then this this horizontal relationship 
actually gives a lot of opportunity to develop that trust. Mm. So when we when we look at at research in trust, we see what one of the problems is is uh, the moral hazard component is bigger if you have the opportunity to let's say appropriate resources, right? Mm. Tempt- temptation value of of the game if you're a game theorist. Mm-hmm. So so if there's a lot of temptation to betray somebody, then that's that's a big problem. Uh, and you don't have that in flat organizations because, for example, you don't have these promotion tournament structures mm. where, you, uh, where you almost artificially create rivalry between colleagues. Mm. You also tend to have more durable relationships between, between uh, employees and colleagues because flat organizations for different reasons tend to have less turnover mm. right mm. in many modern organizations you have a big problem with turnover you know the uberization of of the workplace etc and that that is detrimental to trust trust needs time to build it's shared vulnerabilities it's a history of reciprocity and all of that needs needs time and interactions mm. and that's more likely to happen in flat environments, mm. in open environments where yeah. you're you're able to share information, which is also, you know, the the silos mm. and and all that. That's a big problem in in strictly hierarchical and compartmentalized organizations. Mm. And I think that's that's why the transition is so difficult in larger organizations who are trying to go flat, let's say, or, or to create a different type of working. I mean, yes, trust is, I mean, I like to think of it like a bank account. You know, you spend ages and ages saving up, putting things in there, putting things in there, building it, and then it can be gone in a day if you make the wrong move. And I think, so for me, there is sort of major leadership skills here that maybe we don't have today because that isn't what, either the environment or the leadership paradigms have asked for. So I'm coming back to your systems thinking discussion, Frederick, around critical systems thinking is one for me, as is sense-making. Because, you know, humans still want to make decisions that make sense to them and to have a purpose. And and maybe that's not right at the top of the organization only today. So can you tell me whether you agree with that? And if yes, what other skills are necessary for building and leading these flatter, more fluid and flexible organizations? No, I, I completely agree. Those are two very important skills for everybody in, mm. in a conceivable situation, but especially um, if you want to transform an organization and especially mm. if you transform an organization into a flatter organization, because as I said, it's a, it's a wicked problem. Mm. And if you want to solve wicked problems, you have to have some awareness of the systemic quality of, of mm. what you're doing. Uh, you have to think about the different components and how they interact, structures, procedures, incentives, uh, culture, et cetera. And then uh, sense-making, of course, if you if you move away from the strictly hierarchical organization, you will also uh, need to find other sources of motivation. Mm-hmm. And where does it come from? Well, it comes from purpose. So so that's as it's more of a shared purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, you're you're a team of peers, and then you have to negotiate these things uh, amongst each other. In that sense, I think there are there are I mean many skills that are necessary for that. So one key difference between strictly hierarchical and and more flatter organizations is that you need to upskill everybody, right? It's it's certainly reversing the the de-skilling trend that you and and specialization trend that mm. you have. 
for so long, you know, if you think about cross-functional teams, everybody needs to have uh, more of uh, an all-rounder profile mm. and everybody needs to have leadership skills, right? So mm. what you saw in recent years, you know, the explosion of uh, leadership coaching, all of these skills are basically necessary for everybody. So you you need skills of conflict management, uh, communication skills, facilitation skills, because the communication patterns are much different, right? Mm. They're much more between colleagues than than between hierarchy levels. Mm. Mm. You can't rely on HR to solve your your workplace conflicts, so you have to be able to solve them themselves. Mm. Yourself. Mm. Um, you have to have certain skills that are particular to your um, to your environment, your industry, but you also need more skills in, let's say, corporate finance, because if you are more involved in in corporate decision making or company decision making, then you need to uh, understand these things. So, so you need a basically the the profile of of an executive, more mm. or less, and especially especially in terms of communication, especially in terms of uh, facilitation, because if you want to lead a project or lead in a certain situation, mm. uh, you need to become the facilitator. You need to become the coach, right? Mm. So there's a lot of situations where somebody needs to learn a new skill, and and you need to provide that, or you need to be able to coach new leagues, uh, all of that is now a collective endeavor. So, so yeah. everybody needs this. Mm. And of course, that is a lot to ask. You know, there's a lot of employee development, if you will, but that is then ultimately the strength, right? You mm. invest, you invest mm. into all these skills and democratize these skills. And then at the end, you reap the reward because you have a highly mm. competent and motivated workforce. And like you say, it's when you say systemic, that means for me, it's every level of the organization uh, from sort of top to bottom, bottom to top and around all the communities that, they, that that exist. So I think the upskilling piece is really important. And I think that's where a lot of the breaking down biases and old ways of thinking happens, uh, because at the different levels of the organization, you'll be upskilling for the same subject, but differently, won't you? Because, because there are less, there are different constraints and different perceptions at different levels of the organization around these skills and the permission and democratization of access to particularly coaching as it stands today in leadership paradigms. I mean, it's shifting very quickly because it has to, because we have to in-house these skills in organizations so that we can create the culture that we're talking about for things to flow across silos and, and boundaries and whether that's information or fairness or ways of working or strategy. It needs to flow in a different way, doesn't it? So, and which brings me to time is running, but I do, I would like you to just outline, if you can, a little more the program that you've put together here in the Enlightened Enterprise Academy to look at these particular subjects. And I think it will be available in September. That's right. It starts in September. It's a 12 week program, it's, it's fully online. Each week will consist of some material will consist of uh, an introduction where I talk to Paul about the content. And um, most importantly, there will be a live session with two eminent experts. I strive to have a balance between an academic and a practitioner. Mm. 
and have a have a nice conversation about the topic of the week. Mm -hmm. And it starts. Uh, we talk about leadership for a couple of weeks, new paradigms for leadership. As I said, emergent leadership. Uh, we talk about different aspects of of flatness, fluidness, mm. fluidity, mm. and flexibility, like information, innovation, new demands on communication. Uh, where does motivation come from, etc. Uh, and then at the end, we try to zoom out again and see how can we pull this off the systemic change? Mm. What do we need to do to make this happen? Because as you know, there are many, many failed mm. uh, at that. And why did they fail and what can you do better? Mm. Interesting. And so essentially, it leads me to my last question, which and I will leave our listeners with those questions because I'm sure everybody is having the, that thought process around leadership, motivation. How do I make it sustainable? What would your final message or call to action be, Frederick, for people listening, thinking, mm, okay, I need to do something to look at structuring the way I think about moving my organization to a flatter paradigm? You mean other than signing up to the program? Other than signing up to the program, of course. The first step to, to a better understanding is, is awareness of the problem. And I think... One of the messages is is just that this is a bottom up process, mm. right? Mm. What I, what I hear a lot is you know how can I get buy in to change, and what I always say is you know if you want consent you need what in in organizational fairness research voice and choice, right? Yeah. You need you need to give everybody in the organization a voice, and some measure of participation of choice. Right, so um, don't think you you can bestow liberty from up above. Mm. Um, that's common misconception of you know how empowerment works, but it, it comes from from below. So listen, listen to everybody and, and make it a bottom up process uh, with voice and choice. Okay, so I'm going to leave our listeners with that. With every voice needs to be heard listen to people and also sign up to your program. And of course, I will put the link in the show notes so that people can find it more easily. Okay, Frederick, thank you very much for coming and sharing your thoughts, your research, your stories. Where can people find out more about you now and what you do? I've got a webpage, I've got a LinkedIn, and I'll provide all of these for the show notes so people can, can get in touch with me. Excellent. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for a great conversation. Thank you, Susie. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the insights and learning it gave you. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. <laughs>